0: This is Dr. Ronald Hoffman. As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system. I've found that it helps people relax and can support restful sleep, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand that I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce the Plus CBD Reserve Collection, a specially curated blend of full-spectrum cannabinoids. Rich and bold, the Reserve Collection products elicit strong feelings of calm, Comfort and relief when intense support is needed. Enjoy a deeper CBD experience with Plus CBD's Reserve Collection of oils and gummies. All of their products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients, and with a 90-day satisfaction guarantee, you have nothing to lose. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com/hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com/hoffman for Plus CBD's new Reserve Collection. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and as uh, has happened so frequently, uh, this podcast has a coronavirus theme, Uh, and today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the psychology of our reactions to calamities and scary happenings with an expert on the subject. He's Dr. Nando Pelusi. He's a licensed clinical psychologist. He maintains a private practice in New York City and serves on the board of advisors of the National Association of Cognitive Behavioral Therapists. He regularly leads workshops on cognitive behavioral therapy for both the public and professionals. And he also uh, writes articles for Psychology Today. And several of his articles recently have been on the theme of coronavirus and our reaction to it. Uh, he uh, has a doctorate from Hofstra University, a Ph.D., and he's a certified supervisor in rational, emotive behavior therapy. I think we need a little bit uh, more of rational, emotive these days. Uh, don't you agree, Nando?
1: Yes, thank you for having me on. I, I, uh, I think it's important to uh, be as rational as we can while we're uh, preparing for the uh, unknown.
0: Indeed. But well, I think the insights that you bring in your articles are from the perspective of something that has been termed evolutionary psychology and, and that's a very very interesting field because uh it suggests that uh, the way we think uh is not necessarily rational it's a product of our uh the structure of our brains uh the way we have evolved to address uh adversity uh it's sort of like paleo psychology isn't it
1: correct yes exactly i i think that our tendency is to have an animistic gut instinct about danger and mm-hmm. so we like to uh, create sort of a scary spooky uh, creature of some sort and in this case we've given it a name called coronavirus
0: indeed but it almost seems like uh there's sort of a binary response to this because in the early phases of this uh you know we were blasé we were there was there's something that i think protects humans uh, and has protect humans uh across the millennia uh which is uh, constructive denial you know everything's going to be all right everything's going to be all right yes okay we have the threat of uh, nuclear holocaust uh we have the threat of uh, asteroids uh, hitting the earth Uh, you know, the oceans are rising and yet, you know, we kind of go calmly through our daily routine. Uh, and when reports, uh, that, uh, scores and hundreds of people in China are coming down sick with some dread virus, uh, we tend to say, well, you know, uh, it's over there. It's not happening here. And, uh, then we flip the switch and all of a sudden, uh, we're engaged in a massive lockdown, uh, and people are, are literally afraid to go out of their apartments uh, they're, they're, uh, subject to, uh, shelter-in-place <laughs> warders.
1: It's, it's like we react too late and then we, we intervene too harshly. And you could even make the analogy of, uh, physical health, you know, where we, uh, don't take care of ourselves physically because we don't, we can get away with it. Or we think we can get away with it. And you're right. That has helped our species adapt to the vagaries of the unknown. Uh, but today, you know, in an interconnected world, we need to identify our own vulnerabilities in that respect.
0: And, and there's also something that's built into humans about sort of the ick factor, right? About, which actually may spawn, uh, in this context, uh, intense fear and germ phobia. Uh, and this again, I think is, is something that, uh, the human brain has evolved, uh, to, uh, in effect accentuate uh, when there's the potential for uh, danger and contagion
1: yes yes this disgust has been uh, studied as a subject and it's very curious that uh, we tend to find things that aren't so good for us quote disgusting now uh, you don't want to ingest things that gross you out and that makes sense in this case uh, we have an abstraction. And so that's why it's important for us to uh, kind of marshal our emotional resources to figure out what is in our control and what is not in our control. And that includes practical problems, such as you know what we can do to forestall problems or to or to prevent them, and uh, and emotional problems because uh, you know it, you, we can say in the modern environment it could be an emotional problem to uh, look the other way or 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 sweep things under the rug.
0: Right. It's hard to achieve emotional balance amidst this because on the one hand, we can err on the side of complacency and on the other, we can err on the side of, uh, overreaction, uh, you know, subject ourselves to unnecessary uh, isolation and fear. And ultimately the ramifications could be tanking uh, the economy for a long time to come. So, uh, what are some tools that can help us to achieve this, this sort of equilibrium between complacency and, uh, outright, uh, sheer terror?
1: Yeah, I, I like to distinguish between sort of a chronic generalized anxiety and a, a, a panic. Mm-hmm. Now here's the thing, so you want a responsive emotional set. You know, if you if you have a, a, a highly valued car, you want it to be very responsive, it, it can accelerate very quickly but it can also stop in a dime and that's very desirable. Uh, you can steer it very well. Uh, the same thing with our emotions. Um, we need to be aware of the mismatch of what we're ancestrally, uh, geared towards. And that is kind of a, uh, life on the savanna, very small population, tribal. Um, and, uh, we want to avoid kind of a chronic anxiety, but to, to distinguish that from vigilance
0: mm mm-hmm. Which is appropriate under the circumstances. I mean, they say they say. I mean, the, the formulation has been we're Stone Agers in the fast lane. You know, our uh, brains and our emotions uh, may have been calibrated, like you say, to the Serengeti plain uh, yeah. one million B.C. Uh, and now we're in the midst of circumstances that are very different. We, you know, instead of ha- hearing uh, the approach of predatory animals in the night, uh, you know, we have CNN uh, and Fox News. Uh, telling us about the mounting death toll.
1: Yes, and that it's hard to to understand. I mean, it's still an abstraction, and uh, there there's a reality here, and uh, it, and that's why I think it's very important to uh, to clearly clarify what we can control, and we do know some things that we can control, like physical isolation, washing your hands, things like that. We know that. Um, now, I have to say, you know. Even I, I know it myself, and I don't do it perfectly. I, I, I mess up. So what we need to do is kind of go easy on ourselves when we don't do things perfectly, because what happens is, you know, we can get discouraged, or we assume that we're in danger, and then we go back to the chronic anxiety.
0: Right. And uh, so, you know, you're out there uh, as a psychologist in the community, And how do you stay in touch with your patients? Are you doing telemedicine at this point, uh, you know, online? It's
1: so interesting, yeah. I think uh, clients really don't seem to care that much. The medium is not as important as the message in this Mm -hmm. case. So So you you could do phoners.
0: And what are some of the concerns that they're expressing? I mean, clearly you see... Uh, A certain percentage of your patients come to you for anxiety disorders. Are they uh, in meltdown, or is somehow the uh, stark reality of this uh, sobering them up? I mean, it could actually have a paradoxical effect. You know,
1: what's what's interesting is uh, my clientele uh, seems to focus on the issues that they've always focused on. So this is just sort of uh, in the background, and it's kind of affected everything slightly. And that's why I'm calling it kind of a chronic, generalized anxiety. They, they know there's a vague threat, mm-hmm. and they that they need to do certain things. But people are handling this lockdown, at least for now, mm-hmm. uh, uh, fairly well. I mean, my, my, my clients are pretty high-functioning in general, but um, that's what I'm finding.
0: Do you have uh, clients who are uh, hypochondriacal? Uh, or germophobes, uh, patients with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, that are you know this has got to be really challenging for
1: them. Yeah, to varying degrees. Although that's the that is the the paradox is that now that we do have a particular challenge and you know we 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 don't know if it's a, if it's a storm we don't know if it's an asteroid we're still we're still figuring it out my sense is that you know the, the news is 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 getting better mm-hmm. but uh uh that the the chronic part of the uh OCD or the hypochondria uh doesn't seem to help the behavior you know it's a, it's a, it's a curious paradoxical thing. And I don't know if that's an, uh, an issue of the, the modern environment. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm still, I, I, some of these issues that, that I'm talking to you about are general. And obviously, individuals have their own particular things that they work on. Uh, but it doesn't seem to affect them uh, en masse mm-hmm. in the same way. I'm actually
0: relatively encouraged by uh, the discipline and fortitude uh, you know you live in Brooklyn uh, I live in Manhattan we're both uh, New York City residents uh, and I'm actually and and we deal with a lot of uh, patients um, I'm actually pleased with with the relative fortitude uh, and discipline of the people of New York and the people that I've come into contact with uh, They seem to be taking pragmatic steps to protect themselves they seem to, be in a way resigned and surrendering to the inevitability of this uh, lockdown. Uh, and they're doing so, you know, without a breakdown in social order uh, and without, in my opinion, you know, major panic and, uh, uh, you know, uh, decompensation.
1: That's, that's a great point. In fact, I think it does show uh, human adaptability, and uh that's one of the goals that I, uh, any good therapist could focus on is in improving one's general sense of adaptability and it's different for different people and because you know uh people are going to have different circumstances and especially in a, a metropolitan area like New York people are going to have you know different jobs with different responsibilities and different exposure but adaptability is the goal and i think new Yorkers maybe because they're used to that kind of uh, um, scaling of abstraction are able to do it. So, yeah, that, that, is, uh, that is something that uh, I think we can make explicit as a goal, especially in uh, a psychological sense.
0: You know, having been through uh, 9-11, uh, I think in some ways was uh, uh, supporting the resiliency of New Yorkers. I mean, at one point, uh, really, we, we really weren't sure what was happening. We had the smoldering ruins of the World Trade Center. Uh, things came to a halt uh people were missing uh and we also had the specter of uh an infection people I don't think people recall very well that there was this specter of uh uh anthrax uh a bioterrorism right. outbreak uh which is actually far more deadly than uh the coronavirus I mean anthrax uh, has a a kill ratio uh that is in in the high double digits and uh this appears to be more of a single digit problem uh, that was something that was unleashed on us in 2001, uh, and we kind of stuck with it. And, uh, the amazing part of it is that we resumed our routines, uh, and New York became, uh, safer and more prosperous than ever. So I, you know, I think that that is, for, for those of us who are in the city, I think that's, that's a, uh, a template that, you know, we can sort of hang our hats on that, uh, this too shall pass and, uh, New York will
1: survive. Um. That's- a great point, and there's a, there's, a, there's a tribalism that has the positive side there, where we all come into this as spiritus mundi. We're in this together, and uh, we have a common enemy. Indeed. Uh, the tribalism
0: is a little broken down by the fact that we're isolated, but, you know, if this had happened in 1990, we'd be all looking at our Motorola flip phones uh, and right. not getting much contact. Uh, but now uh, there's the possibility for virtual communication, which I think is a real asset under these circumstances. So we can stay in touch with our families, although we may be in different uh, venues, uh, you know, each in our individual, uh, you know, nuclear family shelter. Uh, but um, I, I think that
1: that is yeah. that hey, helping things. I, exactly. I, I like to say we can stay uh, socially close, but physically distant.
0: Indeed. Now, you have kids. Uh, they're rel- How old are your kids? They're relatively young, but they're not babies.
1: Yeah, uh, one's 11 and one is 8. And uh, so I, I heard that, you know, we're expecting a, a, a baby boom in nine months. But I have to say, all those kids are going to be firstborns.
0: <laughs> That's right. But uh, So how do you deal with this? You know, first of all, your kids are at home. Uh, they, they can't go out to school. Uh, right. How do you explain this to your kids in such a way that your kids don't uh, experience uh, unnecessary uh, panic and anxiety? I mean, is there a way of talking to kids that age that you uh, have found helpful?
1: Yeah, you know, you're the first person to ask me that. And and it really is an issue because um, my eight-year-old daughter was, was um, having trouble sleeping the other night. You know, and I walked in. She was hugging her her pillow and she said, you know, when, when, when do pandemics end, Mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to replace the story of the monster under the bed with a, with a, you know, a saber toothed pandemic. And so, um, you know, I basically used a a palliative approach. I distracted her with a story about puppy dogs and things like that. And then she relaxed. So I think that's going to be a problem uh, that, yeah, I hadn't anticipated.
0: Yeah, uh, because certainly they could they could be taking the brunt of some of this uh, worry. Now, uh, you're a little younger than I am, but uh, I underwent uh, this you know, very scary period in the 1950s uh, when literally uh, they would have us uh, go under our desks, face away from the windows. And this was an atomic bomb drill. This is like, you know, the prospect of nuclear attack uh, loomed on a daily basis and you know clearly this had an impact on my generation uh creating a certain uh existential insecurity about the world at a very young age and is that kind of imprinting uh damaging or, or are kids more resilient
1: well i pe- people disagree on this i tend to think that humans are adaptable, they can be, um, anti-fragile, as, uh, uh, this guy I know, uh, Nassim Taleb says. And I agree with the anti-fragility. I mean, if you remember what happened in the, in the, in the, after that is that people kind of went into the summer of love. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's an interesting, uh, kind of communal response to some of that, which is, um, to some degree unpredictable, but my sense is that uh, humans tend to uh, process and then uh, reorient.
0: Right. And so I think the the key word here is resilience. How do we all cultivate resilience in in the face of this? I mean, in a way, this is an, a fire drill. This is an opportunity for us under adverse circumstances, whether they be uh, you know the fear of disease, the actual disease itself, because some people are sick. Uh, or economic uh, challenges because a lot of people are worried about you know their their portfolios they're worried about their jobs uh you know are they going to be paying their employees is there going to be a business to go back to uh you know is there a way to to fortify one's response to these adverse circumstances
1: well i I tend to look at something that i I don't think is been studied that much, but I find this in uh, clients, which is a type of anxiety called frustration anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's an anxiety about uh, not being able to pursue what you want to pursue. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, we have things like ego anxiety, I'm worried about Mm -hmm. what you might think of me, or I'm worried about uh, uh, my impression. Then there's uh, other types of anxiety. Um but, but frustration anxiety is general, it's huge and it does and it's impersonal. There's no particular thing that you uh can do to deal with it directly. So it becomes an emotional problem. So what I, I like to do is get people to tune in to where they're uh getting uh intolerant of the frustration and to take the long view. We're in a period of adapting to this the new circumstance but the new circumstance is not permanent so if we take a long view we prepare for frustration and uh, we're able to deal with extra frustration so, you know some people get anxiety when they when they have very little frustration and some people are able to tolerate lots and lots of frustration so clearly there's a cognitive uh, intervening variable there
0: mm-hmm. and I think that one of the things that might predispose to that type of anxiety uh, is uh, type A behavior, perfectionist behavior. And New York City is, is a place of high achievers. You know, it sort of selects for that. You know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. But uh, New Yorkers, uh, I think, are feeling stymied because all their projects, uh, all their work, uh, all their entertainment possibilities uh, are being sidelined. And that... I think, is creating some frustration and anxiety. I know I'm experiencing it to some extent.
1: Yeah, sure. There's 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 an agentic nature to the New Yorker. We want to control things. We want to get things done. Um, So I think people are getting uh, creative, especially if they don't get emotionally disturbed. So that's what I... Focus on which is how to prevent emotional disturbance, you know, getting intolerant about the frustration, uh, getting, uh, cur- you know, cursing this vague th- threat and getting yourself mm-hmm. down. That, uh, which by the way, as you know, doesn't help our immune functioning. Indeed. You know, chronic anxiety itself is a, is, I think it's part of the, the evolutionary apparatus of, of the virus itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um,
0: Oh, so that's an interesting point. Is that you think, and, and this is in, for, look look at it from the standpoint of the virus and the the ability of the virus to uh, survive and promulgate itself is that by the very fact that it creates terror and anxiety. I mean, it's not thinking this through because it's not a sentient being or you know a clever entity, but you know just by virtue of natural selection uh, that somehow uh, viral epidemics that create terror. Uh, may immunosuppress a uh, target population and thus uh, ensure their, their survival from an evolutionary standpoint. That's a very interesting point.
1: Yeah, and, and there, there are all kinds of uh, behavioral things. I mean, coughing, for example, is a... Is a mm-hmm. uh, it's a spreading uh, mechanism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so I think um, we need to outsmart. Uh, with, it's an inert, like you, you said, you know, it, it, it's a, a semi-living thing, and it's also microscopic, and so that's the other part of this, is that it's, it's the boogeyman, we don't see
0: it's it. It's insidious, like, like the invisible man movie, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's I think a perfect embodiment yeah. of what this is you, know? The, the, yeah,
1: the, you know, the peril
0: that you can't see
1: Right, yeah, so we need to um, uh, understand how that works, and then uh, by controlling what we can control I think we really can uh, defeat it and, and you know and fortunately we have brains that are able to uh figure this out now our instinct is to make it animistic you know as though this might be a plague that was mm-hmm. sent to us or that you know uh, Donald Trump and uh, Boris Johnson did something right. you we, know we t- we tend to, to, if to we
0: do. can't explain something we tend to, the human mind tends to want to close the loop on explanation and that's why we have all the myths and all the all the you know wives tales of ancient history you know, like the gods are are angry at us, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, p- just to provide some sort of explanation for a natural phenomenon,
1: which is our blessing, but also our our potential curse. And I, I think that's why we kind of need a second order awareness of uh, of how that works,
0: which involves a, a certain detachment, I think, and and stepping away from simplistic uh, explanations. Uh, or, uh, you know, ascribing blame, uh, you know, engaging, uh, you know, necessarily our emotions, uh, when prudent rational action uh, is the order of the day. I think that that describes it.
1: Yeah, Uh, and avoiding things like poor me, you know, telling yourself things that don't help. Uh, I get uh, clients tuned into... Things that they tell themselves, which they're not aware of, that they're telling themselves. Like I'll say to somebody, "Hey, it sounds like you're telling yourself that uh, you know you're a victim with a capital V," and they say, "Ah, uh, yeah, I guess I was saying that to myself."
0: But it's it's and, not a helpful narrative, and, and actually, we actually have free will. We have the ability to put in substitute narratives.
1: Yeah, and uh, and uh, to uh, that's a, that's a good point. I, I I think that the the narrative we adopt can get, help gain even so, a small measure of control over this problem or any problem, including physical, you know, health and getting, uh, focused on even a small change sometimes can have huge effects. You know, like, un- like understanding, uh, things like what we eat can affect our health. Uh, and understanding certain narratives that we may have, which are semi-conscious. I don't believe, like Freud thought, that they were unconscious and you need 50 years of therapy to uncover them. I do think that they're they're accessible. And by tuning into them, we can then look at them and question them.
0: Indeed. Okay, it's a good point at which to pause, because uh, we divide our podcast into two parts. And uh, in part two, I want to talk a little bit about Uh, Cognitive behavioral therapy, what it is. Uh, I happen to be a big believer in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is something that uh, you specialize in. Uh, What does it mean? What does it offer? Uh, Is it an option for people who suffer from uh, fear and anxiety uh, and uh, despair at this time of unprecedented crisis? Uh, Our guest is uh, Dr. Nando Pelusi. Uh, he is a Ph.D. psychologist uh, here in New York. Uh, and when we return, uh, more on the subject of dealing with stress of COVID-19. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.